Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning. It's good to see you. Listening to Alexis talk, she said that we've been in ministry for 30 years. I said, that's way older than you, sister. <laughs> it's great to be here. I was telling the last service, it's kind of funny because every time I come, it's the same weekend every year, which is kind of fun. It always feels like every time I come here, you're sending kids to camp. Well done. They should stick around sometimes. No. It's good to be back. We love coming here every year. It's a blast, and uh, we're really blessed. Uh, about 20 years ago, Polly and I pastured just down the street, a little town called Ording. Some of you are from there. I remember, it was about 20 years ago, I remember coming home from work. Uh, I was uh, at home and turned on the TV, and I flipped on to the public broadcasting channel. I mean, who doesn't do that, right? Come on, there's nothing but nothing on there. Anyway, it turns out that that particular moment in time, there was a mayoral debate happening between two people who were gonna run for mayor for the little town. And I remember watching it, thinking to myself, oh, I'll watch it, why not, right? See who's gonna be the, the new mayor of our hometown, right? And I remember watching it, thinking to myself, I, I don't know if I agree with that guy. I certainly don't agree with that guy. Have you ever, ever watched a, something political and think to yourself, like, I don't even know. Like, right? Come on now, don't look at me like that, right? You're just, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure on either one. Anyway, did I tell you that it was a small town? Right? Did you know small towns are interesting because usually in a small town, you're going to bump into somebody that knows somebody that's related to somebody else. Right? It's a very small town. So the next day, I did what we all do, and I went back, and I was going to a meeting, and I thought I would share a couple of opinions. Did I tell you it was a small town? <laughs> Shared a couple of opinions of what I thought about the, the mayoral debate and what I disagreed with and all that stuff. And well, that afternoon, I got a knock on my door. My office door, I'm like, I don't know who that is, so I opened it up, and it's one of the dudes who was on the TV the night before. <laughs> he says, allow me to introduce myself to you, pastor. I heard that you disagreed with some of the things that I said last night, right? You ever just wish you had a do-over, <laughs> right? Just look for a second chance. Listen, this morning, I wanna talk to you about a time in the Bible when God gave a second chance to King David, right? Every one of us needs a second chance at some point. So you join me as we pray? God, thanks for today. We need you a bunch. There's no one like you. Lord, we need a second chance. So many places of our life, in Jesus' name, amen. Give your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. I love the Psalms. I love that you're doing the summer in the Psalms. You guys learning stuff in that? Yeah. Right, come on, good stuff. Psalm 68 was written by King David. King David. As he's writing this psalm, he's writing it actually as a song to be sung. Psalm 68 was actually a song about the time that, that literally King David and his mighty band of warriors decided that they were going to bring the ark of God back, or at least for the first time, into the city of David. So this psalm is a song written to commemorate the moment when the ark came into town. Right, So as he's writing this thing, you'll see things about this. I don't know about you, but ever read your Bible and the first time you read through a chapter or whatever it is in the Bible, you're like, God, I have no idea what I just read. Right? Has that ever happened? No, it happens to me all the time. Right? So let me tell you this. When you read your Bible, slow down. 
right? We, we get too jumpy and too fast with our Bibles, right? Listen, there's not a refrigerator in heaven with gold stars on it for how fast you got through the Bible. People tell it to me all the time, I've read through the Bible six times, and I'm like, good on you. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how many times you get through the Bible, it just matters that some of it gets actually through you, right? So slow down, right? Come on now, that's what we need. Psalm 68, listen to this. It says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before a fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. I love this. I love this. The ark of God symbolized the presence of God. Now the ark of God wasn't the presence of God, it symbolized it. The ark, that's what sat in the temple, eventually that was built by his son Solomon, but the ark at that time was sitting in a tabernacle, basically a tent or a temporary temple, if you will. Inside the ark was um, the, the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and a stick, right? It was Aaron's staff. That was what's inside, right? All of that together symbolized the presence of God. We don't have time to go into all of that, but I'll tell you this. In, in this, it had two poles that stuck out the sides. On top of the ark were two angels that, that, that their wings were over the top of it. It looked like you've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm talking about, right? It looked kind of like that. The problem with the Raiders of the Lost Ark is it has the orientation of the poles incorrectly. They're actually this way, not that way. By the way, no joke. Gosh, there's so much I want to go into. The ark had been seated at a place called Kiriath-Jerim at the home of a man named Abinadab. Abinadab was, was uh, Moses' son. It had been at their house for over 20 years. The ark of God, listen, David brought the ark from Kiriath-Jerim into the city of David with dancing and shouting and singing and praising and all this wonderful th stuff that happened. It was an amazing expression. It was like a big parade. Everyone went crazy. He wore a, a linen ephod, whatever that is, he, 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 which was not a lot of clothing. But I'm telling you, there's, he went crazy worshiping God and brought the ark into town. Yay. On his second attempt. You see, David tried the first time to bring the ark of God into town, and it didn't go well with him the first time. How many ever need a second chance to make a first impression? Right? I think it's interesting how David got a second opportunity to actually do it right. But you see, the first time didn't go so well. I wanna to talk to you this morning a little bit about the first attempt when David tried to bring the ark into town. Hmm. You know what I love about the Bible? As I love that the Bible was written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I love the fact that the Bible includes human frailty. I love that it includes human frailty. When I read the Bible, there's so much that if I were to write the Bible, I wouldn't include. Like if I were to write the Bible, I wouldn't include the fact that Moses um, didn't get to actually enter into the promised land. I don't know if you realize that or not, but he got the, you saw Moses lead him out of Egypt. That's a big victory, right? But then lo and behold, he actually never got to bring him into the promised land. Why? Because he struck the rock twice. There's pictures and symbology in that whole thing, but understand something, if I were to write the Bible, it wouldn't have included that little detail. 
There were some things I would have left out. I would have said like, um, or remember the time when David had that little, well, well, that affair with Bathsheba. Might have left that out of the scriptures. How about Paul when he held the coats of those who threw stones at Stephen and ended up killing him because he was sharing his faith with the high council of Jews? I might have left that little detail out. By the way, I wonder sometimes if Paul, um, remember the Bible said he had a thorn in the flesh that he asked God to take away? I wonder sometimes if the thorn in the flesh might have been the memory of what he did to Stephen because he couldn't shake it. I don't know. I might have left that out of the Bible. I might have left the fact that Peter denied Christ three times. I might have let one get in there, but not three times. Come on. <laughs> My sanitized version of the Bible would have been Moses parting the sea, David killing Goliath, Paul writing two-thirds of the New Testament, and Peter preaching to thousands. Thus saith the lance. That's what I would have done, man. I wouldn't have wasted my time with all the other stuff, right? right? But here's the thing, man. That's why I love the scriptures because it's just made up of humans. It's when humans clashed with the divine God and said, write down these things. Remember, the Bible says all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God will be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know your Bible says that? That's what the Bible says. It's actually written by his Holy Spirit through inspired men of God. Amen. Come on now. How many of you know that you can have the right motive with the wrong method and make a real mess? Right? You can have the right motive with the wrong method and make a huge mess. You can have uh, 10 pounds worth of books sitting on a, a shelf that holds five pounds and it won't last long. You can have the right motive with the wrong method and make a mess. You can have the right intentions on talking with that guy at work and trying to help him with his marital problems, but when you cross the line, you could find yourself making a mess of your own marriage because you had the right motive with the wrong method and you make a big mess. You can go to your kid's play or to their soccer game and you're, you decide you're gonna go there and be a part of what's going on, but you mistakenly bring your phone thinking you're gonna take pictures, but you spend more time on your phone than watching the game. Right motive, wrong method. What? It's funny, isn't it, how often we do that? We allow the right motives with wrong methods and we create a big mess. David did the same thing. David had the right motive to bring the ark of God, the presence of God, into town in hopes that somehow the presence of God would make all the difference. Right motive, wrong method. Let's take a look at what happened in his first attempt. When David tried to bring the ark of God into town for the first time, look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. So then David mobilized 30,000 special troops. He led them from Baalah of Judah to bring the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart. Everyone say new cart. New on a new cart and brought it from the hillside home of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the ark on the cart. Ahio was walking in front of it. David, with David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all their might. One just celebrating a little bit, but they were celebrating with all their might, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, tambourines, and castanets, whatever those are, and cymbals. So far, so good. How could God be bummed out? Loud music? 
Come on, loud music, singing, dancing, crazy times. And get this, they did it with all their might. They tried real hard. They wanted to do the right thing. They had the right motive. But there was something missing in their method. Sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in our motive and thinking our motive is gonna be the thing that's gonna get us the, uh, the, to the finish line. But the right motive with the wrong method will just create a big fat mess. Hmm. Let's go on, look at verse six. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah put his hand out to steady the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger burned out against Uzzah for doing this. God struck him dead beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger was blazed out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah, and it's called that to this day. Verse nine. Now David was afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. He took it instead to the home of Obed-Edom, of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there until the family of Ob- with the family of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. It's interesting, right? Obed-Edom's at his house. The ark of God shows up. The presence of God is at their house. I always wonder how that whole meeting went down to Mrs. obed Right, Mrs. Obed, hey, honey, the king asked a favor of us. What's the favor? Well, you know there was this guy named Uzzah, right? He got a little close. Well, David asked us if we could put the ark of God in our house for a bit. You can imagine how that went to the kids. Kids, don't touch the God box. <laughs> Whatever you do. Right? <laughs> you see, I'm just like, okay, dad. Okay, I'm not gonna touch the God box there. So imagine the presence of God. I, I love geography. Sometimes we miss geography. There's a bunch of you that got to, I got to see in Israel when we were over there. Geography, man, I'm telling you, that's a, that's a whole nother dimension of the Bible. So I'll give you a little geography of what you might experience in this moment. So imagine Kiriath-Jerim was this place that was, well, about Wally's in Buckley. Come on now, you know where Wally's is, right? Over there by the high school. Wally's, about that there. The, the trip from there to here, 12, 13 miles, right? From Wally's to Sumner, come on. That was the trip, getting the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the city of David. Nothing big, all downhill, not so bad. Come on, how hard could that possibly be? You can imagine David just like, hey, let's move the Ark, it's gonna be great, we'll do it in a day, then we'll go home and have some sponge cake, it'll be awesome. I gotta, <laughs> that was funny. Sponge cake, come on, there we go. You imagine it was like this moment where he's like, hey, look, I want to get to the place where we'll just get the ark of God down there. It'll be great. We'll bring him into town and then we'll have all things good, right? Hmm. Slow down when you read your Bible. It says when they went to the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out to try to steady the ark of God. For the record, let me tell you what a threshing floor looked like. A threshing floor was, well, the flattest possible place of land you could find. It was exposed to the wind so they could take the wheat and that had been threshed, if you will, and they could throw it up in the air and the chaff would blow away, the wheat would fall down. So it was a flat place. There were no rocks, there were no trees, no stumps, no holes, no nothing. Slow down when you read your Bible. 
It says the ox stumbled on the threshing floor. Just, oxen don't stumble in places where there's nothing to stumble upon. Something tells me God was trying to do something. God was trying to say something to us and to them. Hmm. Let me tell you how to have a second chance at a first impression. A successful second chance requires, first of all, that we stop paving roads with good intentions. If we're gonna have a second chance, we gotta realize that our good intentions aren't gonna help us. Right? You never heard that phrase before, right? The road to hell leads is paved with good intentions. I think David had a great intention. He wanted to get the presence of God from where it was to where it needed to be. He wanted to have the presence of God in his life. I mean, come on, how great would that be? Because in his mind's eye, wherever the God box was, was where they were gonna win the battles. Right? So why not get the God box to come with us? So let's go get it so we can have it with us all the time because come on now. See, great intentions with the wrong method ended up costing someone's life. Uzzah died because David's method was wrong. Second hmm. Samuel 6, 1 says this, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating the Lord with all of their might. Let me tell you this, I don't care how hard you try and how much might you put into something, partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Ask any mom with a three-year-old. <laughs> partial obedience is still disobedience. Come here, no, all the way here, <laughs> no, all the way here. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about if you had a three-year-old living anywhere near you at some point in your life. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Here's the difference between you and a three-year-old. Nothing. <laughs> We're just bigger versions, right? We're the same people. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Some of you have been partially obeying God, thinking you're doing what's right. And I'm telling you today, partial obedience is still disobedience. Well, I won't look that long. Well, I won't go that far. Well, I'll only show up a little bit late and then sign my name in at the right time, a little bit. I only did it once this summer. Come on now. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Great intentions still get us into trouble. Number two, how to have a successful second chance requires that we fear the Lord first. Fear the Lord first. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in understanding. I love this. Let's take a look at David's first attempt at trying to move the ark of God into town. First Chronicles 13 says this. Listen, what, listen where David went off track. First Chronicles 13.1 says this. Then David consulted with all of his officials, including the generals and captains of his army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve and... It's the will of God, then let us send messengers, messages to all of Israel throughout the land, including the priests, the Levites, and the towns and the pasture lands. Let us invite them to come join us. It's time to bring the ark of God back, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. Listen, if there's anywhere in your life where you say the phrase, hey, if everyone else is in and God's good with it, then let's move forward. You're doing it backwards. There's only one person we need to be seeking the approval of, and it's God. Amen. God, if you approve, period. David decided he was, let me tell you this. Well, Dave, maybe David didn't have enough time to talk to God. 
But he didn't have enough time. Here's the funny thing. David had plenty of time to talk to other people. But he didn't have enough time to talk to God. He had plenty of time to talk to the officials and gather all the nation together, but he didn't have any time to consult with God first. Hmm. The fear of God. We don't talk about the fear of God enough in church. In fact, we almost never talk about the fear of God. Interesting. They knew, David knew, so did Uzzah, how to bring the ark of God anywhere. They knew that Exodus 25 and Numbers 7 say that the ark of God will be borne upon the shoulders of men, not on new shiny carts. Hmm. Interesting. 2 Samuel 6, 9 says this, David was now afraid of the Lord. Interesting, how do I know that David didn't fear God before that? Because it says he now feared the Lord. He feared the Lord now. When? When someone died. When something tragic happened, then he feared God. Let me tell you this, the fear of God, so much of our life, we, you know what we love? We love Christmas baby Jesus in the manger. Come on now, we love baby Jesus. We sing Silent Night until whatever, man. We're like, oh come let us adore. We love that. We love me some Christmas baby Jesus. But here's what we don't want. We don't want skull-crushing, head-thumping, cloud-riding Jesus. We don't want mean, fierce Jesus. We just want nice, careful, loving Jesus, the one who's most like Santa. Because we like Santa Jesus, but we don't like the fear of God Jesus. Look at what it says later on down in Psalm 68, down to verse 20. Our God is the God who saves us. Listen, David's gonna get in the middle of this. Listen to this. Our sovereign Lord rescues us from death, but God will smash the heads of his enemies, crushing the skulls of those who love their guilty ways. The Lord says, I will bring my enemies down from Bashan. I will bring them up from the depths of the sea. Listen to this, verse 23. And you, my people, will wash your feet in their blood. Even your dogs will get their share. Amen. Praise Jesus. We don't like fierce Jesus. Fierce Jesus is no fun. We like nice, kind Jesus who does what he does, who, who, who just says yeah. Somebody said to me all the time, it's like people say this to me, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and God didn't answer. Let me just set the record straight. Listen to me, people, and all of you online, listen up. God answers every prayer. Every prayer you pray, God will answer. Can I give you a little hint, mom or dad? No is still an answer. Amen. <laughs> they don't like that. They're just like, no, God didn't answer my prayer. Yeah, he did. He said no. No is an answer. I hate that. I want God to say yes. I want God to be like, bless you, Lance. Everything you do and touch, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, it doesn't work like that because he's God. The moment we fear God more than we fear man is the moment we start to understand things. It's the beginning of knowledge and understanding, the fear of God. What does that mean? What I'm supposed to say is the fear of God is like reverent respect and awe. Can I just tell you this? The fear of God is the fear of God. Listen to this. It's funny to me how our culture makes room for so-called gods to be fearful 
We make fo so far, you know, the so-called gods, all of that stuff. Uh, you, you know, the so-called God that said uh, in the Old Testament, if you offer a sacrifice of your firstborn child and, and appease the wrath of that so-called God, then you will be blessed with many children thereafter. We look at that and go like, that's so silly. We would never do something like that. We offer stuff to so-called gods all the time. I don't know if you realize that, but we do the same thing, right? You know, the, the so-called God of never enough, that so-called God that we never offer, what does it want us to offer? It wants us to offer sacrifices of time, money. It wants us to offer sacrifices of just a little bit more so that we can be just a little more happy. How about that so-called God FOMO? You know FOMO, the fear of missing out? We, we offer all kinds of stuff on the altar, you know the altar's called, right? YOLO. You only live once. You only live once, man. We offer everything on that altar, so we just let her rip. Over and over again, these false, these so-called gods, and they promise they're gonna give you stuff, but they take and take and take. Listen, we forget that God is kind and loving. Uh, but listen to this quote. C.S. Lewis, many of you have seen The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, you read the books. Listen to what it says. C.S. Lewis writes this. Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. Susan is surprised since she assumed Aslan was a man. She then tells Mr. Beaver, shall I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe, to which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is a lion. If I were to stand up here today and said God is good, but he's not safe, I'd get lynched. Yeah. You guys would throw stuff at me. The truth of the matter is, can you imagine if we go, to, I remember as a little kid, I was talking to somebody just after the last service. I remember as a little kid, I grew up in the Catholic church and we would walk into the back of the Catholic church and as a little boy, you don't talk out loud in the Catholic church. I don't know what they do today, but it was like you whispered all the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, the reverent respect for what was going on. The problem was the things we were whispering were not so holy, right? The only difference is, is that there was a, in my opinion, the way we were doing Catholicism back there was it was all outward. In other words, there was an outward display of reverence, but there was an inward irreverence. It's so funny because we in our Pentecostal Protestant churches, we do the same thing, but we just do it a little differently. We just get louder and have smoke machines. And we're like, hey, man, we, we, we turn the smoke machines on and somehow that's gonna usher in the presence of God. No, it's not. It's just a thing. The position of your heart is what matters the most. Do you fear God more than you fear man? That's the problem is that we don't have the fear of God that rolls with us before we do anything. Successful second chance also requires that we measure twice and cut once. Amen. 2 Samuel 6.10 says this, so David decided not to move the ark of God into the city. Instead, he took it to the home of Obed-Edom. The ark of the Lord remained there for three months and God blessed his entire household. Special forces operators tell me they use this phrase, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Oftentimes, we get this nudge in our heart that we've got to have urgent. Can let me just level the course with you and tell you this. God is never urgent. God never has to be in a hurry. He's not urgent. 
God's not urgent. He doesn't have, well, there's too many people that come to me and say, Lance, I gotta do this thing. God's telling me I must, I gotta, I gotta. Can I tell you this? God doesn't function like that. He doesn't need to. We do, because we're weird. Here's what I would tell you this about this. Um, I always think urgent. When I feel urgent in my life, I've got to, I must, I need to, I need to. When you feel urgent, can I tell you this? Urgent is like the yellow light at an intersection. That's all urgent is. It's just a warning, right? What is the yellow light supposed to tell you to do? Stop. What do we always do? Go faster, faster, right? (laughs) The yellow light's just telling you something's about to happen. When you feel urgent, can I I always just tell people this? Use the enemy's ploys against him. When you feel urgent, use it as a tool to tell you to stop. God's never urgent. He doesn't have to be. God controls all time. God's in control of it all. When you, I have people come to me like, I've got to leave this church and go to that church. I've got to leave this job and go to that job. I, gotta, I have to do this thing and I must and I must and I must. I've got to send this text again. i post it because everyone on Facebook needs to know my political views. No, they don't. They don't, and they don't really care. God's never urgent. If you slow down and said, hey, I'm gonna send that post tomorrow morning, but then I won't get the likes. I won't get the endorphin rush. (laughs) Maybe the post is for you and not for what you think it's for. Hmm. A second chance. I think God wants to give you a second chance to measure twice and cut once. Some of us get so wrapped up in the idea that the now has to happen right now. And if we don't get it done right now, that somehow God's not gonna be okay with you. I love the fact that God is not in a big hurry. If there's one thing the devil is, I I tell people this all the time, that the devil is what I call the master of overdrive. He wants to take a good thing and go crazy with it, right? Like, for example, um, when our kids were little, uh, now they're all grown up, um, and we have an empty house in Jesus' name. <laughs> Love my babies, but I like them in their own homes. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I like my grandkids too. They're amazing, but it's kind of fun. I mean, you know, come on now. Hmm. Sometimes we lose track that God's got a plan in our life and he's not in a big fat hurry for it. We get our minds so wrapped around it having to happen now, it having to happen this way, and if it doesn't happen the way that we're gonna do it, that somehow we're missing out on the will of God. God doesn't work.
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.